0: You're now listening to Hack and Grow Rich with Shaheen Shayen and his co-host, Bart Baggett, where we discuss hacking your way to success and the unconventional paths to unreasonable success with the people who've been there. And now, the author of Billion, How I Became King of the Thrill Pill Cult, Shaheen Shayen.
1: Perfect. Rock and roll. Boom hey man, I learned something new today. I appreciate that. All right, Shaheen, welcome to the podcast. Uh, man, I've been looking forward to this interview uh, for a while, man, and so has my audience. I took a snapshot of your book and posted it on social media, and everybody was like, that's pretty cool. So I i am pumped to to have you on, and uh, yeah, welcome.
0: Super excited, man. Thanks for having me on. And I, if things are a little bit darker visually with me. We are in Los Angeles right now in the midst of COVID and there's a power outage, but
1: I'm prepared. I had all my backup stuff. So I'm here on backup to be on your show. Oh man, (laughs) power outage, Well, dude, that's like, that's incredible. Uh, So I want to start by letting everyone that's listening know that, uh, yeah, you've done some really cool shit in your life and I'm excited for you to share it. (laughs) When I was reading your story, I was like, is this guy, this guy's like Jordan Belfort from the Wolf on Wall Street, like just this wild ass story. And so I, I just, like, I can't wait for you to get into it. Um, just to let everybody that's listening know, you know, you started a company that did, and you as a teenager, that did over a billion dollars in sales by the time you were 18 years old. And, you know, I'm not sure that anyone on earth, anyone else on earth can actually say the same thing. Uh, but I want to start at the beginning, man. You know what? Like, what was your first business? How did you like foray into entrepreneurship? Like, you know, tell us the, a little bit about the beginning, if you don't mind.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and by the way, that was pre-internet, which is pretty pretty cool. Yeah, pre-social media, pre-facebook, pre-mobile phones. It, and I was telling somebody the other day, I remember when I had my business going, and I remember that cell phones became a thing. And it was nuts back in the day because it was like six dollars a minute. And I got the first one, it was like the size of like a shoebox, and it had a cable, and I had it in my car, and I felt so slick having this thing in my car. And to just think how far we've we've
1: come. Yeah, you're life. one of the cool guys with the brick cell phone that we all wanted to be like. <laughs> yeah,
0: the brick cell phone. So my family came to the United States as immigrants. I was born in Iran, and we were solid middle class in Iran, came to the United States, realized that we were not only hated because it was Iran Contra happening during that time, but and and be becoming second-class citizens, but we were also poor. My dad tried to graped together as much money as he could doing odd jobs. He worked at a pizza place. He worked at a dry cleaners, which he ended up doing for 30 something years. And by the time I was 15, I looked around me and thought, man, I I want a piece of the American dream. I want all this wealth that I see everywhere. I want a piece of that. Because my my folks managed to buy a house in an up and coming part of Los Angeles called Pacific Palisades. Back in those days, it was hippie. Somehow, my dad found the one house that nobody wanted. There was a hip, literal hippie commune living in the backyard. And my folks bought the house knowing that we had to evict these like really nice hippie people. And my parents, you know how Persian parents are, they just killed them with kindness. My mom would bring them chai, my dad would bring them food. And eventually, they were like, You guys are so nice what can we do for you? My dad said, look, you know, I got this house for my family. You guys have to move along. You can't be living here in the backyard. I mean, they were using, there was a uh, like near Olympic sized pool in the backyard. They were using it as a koi pond. It was a, a nutso situation playing drums in the backyard. And so finally they moved on. Neighborhood started picking up and I started to think to myself, dude, like I want like that guy, the guy driving down PCH with the Porsche, the beautiful girl in the back like I want that how do you get that and and as you know every Persian parents answer to that was go be a doctor why why what are you doing shine go be a doctor the doctor is the only way go talk to Tehrani across the street he's doctor he will tell you be a doctor so all right let me go see what this is doing so I went across the street dude had a big house typical Persian with columns I think it comes like. When they give you a passport in America, you also get columns and like two in front of your house. And so I I went down to this guy's house, he was kind of annoyed. And he's I'm looking at this dude, and this dude's fucking fat, he's bald, he smells like cigarettes. He leaves the house at five in the morning, comes back late at night. He's fucking miserable. I look at the wife, she's fat and bald. I look at the kids, they're fat and bald and miserable. Everybody's fat and bald and miserable. This guy doesn't own his time. He doesn't own his hours. The bank owns everything. And I'm like, fuck, man. That's like, what is it? Like eight, 10 years of schooling. Like, I don't want that. And I had the fortune to read all the great books from, from the time I was 10 years old, I was reading. And I would read things like Think and Grow Rich. I would read about, you know, guys like Tony Robbins and this other guy, Stuart Wilde, all these self-help books. So I thought, fuck, man, I got to make a run for it. I can't, I can't do this. So I just packed up my stuff when I was 15 and I took off. Wow. And I left home, I cut off ties with everybody I knew. And I went out there to seek my fame and fortune. I had nowhere to live. I had no money. I would uh, eat at the community college because they would have uh, free food. I would sleep in the back of an abandoned Lincoln Continental, which was spectacular. And later I learned that you could convince brokers to give you the lockbox codes to buildings that were under construction if they thought you might buy them at some point and be able to sleep there at night while they uh, were doing the repairs to the building or whatever and wake up in the morning before anybody came to do the work and you would be all good. So I did that for a while, got involved in the electronic music scene here in Los Angeles. And pretty soon I discovered, man, I need to make some money. So, I stumbled upon the most profitable thing at that time, which was dealing drugs, and decided, hey, man, ecstasy is the biggest drug. I'll just sell that. And then I looked back to my adolescence coming to this country, speaking very little English and uh, a brief career in crime as an adolescent, selling porno magazines, glue, cigarettes, whatever I could to become the cool kid at school, and realizing that. I was really fucking bad at crime, constantly getting busted, very good at making money, very bad at crime. Every crime I did, I'd get caught. So now I'm 15 years old thinking, man, I should become an ecstasy dealer. And I thought to myself, fuck, man, if you learn one thing in life, dude, like one thing is that you are fucking bad at crime. There's people that are good at crime. Maybe like, like the guy you said, the Belfort guy or, or yeah. the Wall Street people, they're good at crime. I was bad at crime. So I shifted it to be, well, what if I came up with an alternative to ecstasy, something that was legal, that was natural, that I could sell anywhere without having any recourse of of government coming after me, of being put in jail, of having drug dealers trying to kill me. And so I did it. I managed to get myself a girlfriend. I managed to figure out a formula. She let me cook it up in her kitchen, making prototypes in her kitchen while her dad was out. And pretty soon I was ready to take it to the clubs and I took it to the clubs. I distributed it through the drug dealers, which was no easy feat. A lot of them became legitimate. And then we went mainstream. We went from one drug dealer to a thousand to 10,000. Then we went to urban outfitters, warehouse records, tower records. We were sold in 32,000 stores. I had offices in 32 countries. We had, uh, all of Venice Beach was employed by me. I mean, pretty much if you could fog up a mirror, I would hire you. And we were producing this stuff for 25 cents, reselling it for $20 cash business. And I was a multimillionaire. Now, still in my teens, walking into my office with nearly 200 employees. I remember having fallen asleep. I had everything. I had the exotic cars, the Lamborghinis, the Ferraris, the Porsches. I, I was on planes with the Academy Award-winning actors and all that kind of stuff. It was rock stars and actors and boats and planes and expensive trips, the whole thing. I would sleep maybe two, three hours a day. I remember falling asleep in my brand new Lamborghini, drooled on the passenger seat, bad luck, woke up, stumbled into my office, wondering what the fuck is going on today? Everybody looks scared. And the secretary broke the news to me that the company had surpassed a billion dollars in revenue. Sam Donaldson was outside, the great Nightline reporter wanting to interview me, uh, London Observer, two Newsweek covers, LA Times, all over the world. This had become a huge phenomenon. And here I was, this kid. And I remember the two thoughts that came to my mind, one, is that I have no idea how much a billion dollars is. Literally, I didn't know how many zeros or how much dollar, like zero concept, just cash would keep piling up. And I'd be like, oh, okay, fuck, I gotta do something with this. And secondly, that maybe this would be a good time for me to get an actual account. And a very, I know this is a mentorship program. So I wanna give some mentorship advice to all your listeners and viewers, which I think will be very useful for them in life. And I learned this. Um, at that time in history. Accountants, very important, are not the guys that separate the pills from the cash in the duffel bags that are lined up in your office and count the cash. That's
1: not what they do. And I learned- That's naked women, right? No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Got some stories for you there. (laughs) So I've got a million questions, um, but I want to I want to try to ask the questions that i think the listeners would really want to know my my first question is is like how did you create this formula there was no youtube like i watched a youtube video that was like how to create your own supplement brand and it was really awesome this guy like hired uh, a couple spanish guys but man this is like pre-internet that we're talking here like How did you, did you get some books on like, what are some of the, like the best herbs? Like, I'm so curious as to how you created a formula at like 15 years old.
0: Yeah, easy. So let me tell you, let's rewind a little bit. Remember, I came to this country, to the United States as an immigrant. Mm -hmm. I believed very strongly up until the time I was 15, that the reason why you went to school was to get an ass kicking. That's what I understood. Every single day involved me getting my ass kicked for no other reason than I was different. And I didn't speak very good English. And I was an immigrant from that country, turban head, towel head, camel jockey, all that stuff. All those names were thrown. It built character. It built grit. And it built this characteristic that no matter how many times you knock me down, I'm going to keep getting up and Mm -hmm. I'm not going to quit. And I'm not going to take no for an answer. Now, when I'm 15, coming up with a formula for this product, I got books. I opened up this thing called the Yellow Pages. If we have to young explain to people what that is, is this book in the 80s and 90s that had everybody's phone number in it. And I would call people. And sure, I'm sure 999 out of a thousand said, fuck off. But one said yes. And the right people were attracted to me because I was in the right place at the right time. Yep. Supply of drugs had dried up. The market was 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 ready for explore, exploration and exploitation. There was nobody serving this underserved market. And here I am with this idea. And people could smell it on me. They could smell the hunger, the relentlessness, that I have nothing to lose in this. You could smell that on me. And I would go door to door. I would call people. Hey, I I need an ingredient that does this. Can you help me? Fuck off. Hey, I thought I told you to fuck off. Ring again and again and again until they said no 20 times. And then I would show up at their door, banging on the door. Knock, knock. Hi, it's me. And finally, one person would say yes. And then that person would lead to another person. And I'd have a formula. I'd do trial and error. And so I figured it out. I went to Chinatown. I got herbs. I managed to give people uh, some some story in exchange for them giving me some ingredients. And before I knew it, I had it made. In fact, the first batch that I went to the club with, uh, I didn't have the money to buy the machine. It was like $200 to buy the machine that puts the herbs inside capsules. So we had to roll it up with honey and make it look as close to capsules by hand and then uh, cook it in her oven. And then I had this like baggies filled with these goo filled balls that I would take to the club and, uh, and, and sell to people because nothing was going to stop me. Not that I didn't have money, not that I didn't know how to, uh, I didn't have any education. I didn't have a background in chemistry, a background in, in herbalism. None of that stuff stopped me.
1: There's a lot to be learned from just what you said right there. Um, My second question is, and I know people will want to know, and I'm very curious, like when you look at yourself as a business person, uh, even back in the day, like what, what was your, like what kind of business person were you? Were you more like the deal maker, the numbers guy, the technical guy, the sales guy? Like what was like your strong suits when you, I mean, other than like relentless and persistence, like what, what type of person would you say you are?
0: The insane kind. I was absolutely (laughs) the not give a fuck kind. I didn't give a shit about what anybody thought or cared about me. People were saying all kinds of stuff. People said I started a cult. People said that, um, you know, I was putting real drugs in there. People were saying all kinds of stuff. I did not give a fuck. And remember I had no business education. Nobody told me right. this is how you start a company or a corporation. This is how you incorporate. This is how you make money, keep money. None of that stuff. I had one philosophy. It was called suicide margins. As long as I could throw money at a problem and solve it, that was no longer a problem. And as long as I kept making more and more of this green stuff, this money, I could throw it at anything that came my way. And that's what I did. I, I would have a problem. Somebody would steal. Price. I had employees steal over a million dollars worth of merchandise. No problem. Throw money at. I had the government coming after me. No problem. I got attorneys. Throw money at. Whatever happened, you could throw money at. And it was because I had these crazy margins. Again, twenty-five cents a unit, selling it for twenty dollars to twenty-five bucks cash all day long.
1: That's what were your parents thinking at this time? I, <laughs> okay, I, I, you don't need to be doctor.
0: <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I still had not yet reconnected with them
1: in the early days. I got you. Got well, you. Um, you said a couple of things that actually made me want to ask you a question. Cause it's going to ask, you know, like what kind of, um, what were you doing? Like with your money, like, were you smart about at that? I mean, obviously you had to be really smart to be able to build and scale and grow a sustaining business, but were you the kind of person that was investing a lot of it? Were you spending, like you're a celebrity, like what was your discipline around the money that you were making in those days? I
0: had no discipline. In fact, I think if I could have been more stupid. It it would have won some kind of an award. There must be a book of awards. At one point, I decided for a short period of time that, look, anybody comes and asks me for money, I'm just going to give it to them. I didn't tell anybody I was going to do this. And sure enough, I came up with that concept as a way of fostering a mindset of abundance because I had so much money. It didn't matter, really. And people started coming. And this one guy came and said, Hey, dude, I want to start a band, man. We're going to do so well. I'll pay you back, bro. I just need 50 grand. And I wrote the check, just gave him the check. Next guy comes along, man, I'd like to take my girlfriend skydiving. Can't afford it. Wrote him a check. Wow. And at a certain point, I realized that the news had got out and people were taking advantage. But it wasn't until I'd given away probably maybe five, six million bucks. A lot of Uh, spend went to fighting the government, which is a very difficult thing to do. One of the things I learned very quickly was that no matter how much money you have, you will never have more than the government that has an endless budget. So it's a war you can't win. You can only settle. But these are things that I learned the hard way. You know, I, I was frugal with some things and then just crazy spending with the other my problem wasn't so much that I that I was spendy. the problem was that when you're young and other people around you see your success people are jealous and people are like hey man this kid's got all this stuff what did he do to deserve this she just got lucky why don't I have this yep. why don't I have the Lamborghini why don't I have the, the beautiful girlfriends and the car and the house and all that stuff I deserve it I'm working nine to five He's doing nothing. He's just doing interviews. And so people end up taking from you. And I learned the hard way later on that the people working for me at those times, uh, everybody was stealing. People were buying condos and cars and all these kinds of things. And I didn't have any controls. I mean, we were literally just like when I tell you we didn't have an account, we didn't have an account. It was just hundreds of millions of dollars pouring through much of it in cash uh, much of it in <laughs> and a, a great chunk of it was was stolen but you know wow. I mean some of it, it wasn't completely stupid
1: yeah yeah you know it's it's really interesting like I my wife and I we love to go to Malibu and we'll always go through Beverly Hills and we see a lot of the people that came over from Iran into Los Angeles and you know just how difficult their childhoods were you know like we love going to Bijan's Um, has the beautiful cars out front, and a a mentor of mine is Manny Koshman. I don't know if you know who he is. Big real estate. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. The real estate uh, guy. Okay. Are you friends with him?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm. I'm in his group. Um, I would like. We're not like on a first name basis, but I've got a tentative schedule to have him on the podcast. Um, as soon as things slow down a little bit so i wouldn't say like i call him up and be like, hey what's the next real estate deal but like we we know of each other we've spoke before he's
0: persian man he's he's got he's got to come on come on we got
1: exactly exactly it's fine. Far-
0: persians we we hate each other persians <laughs> hate other persians it's a crazy thing it's like the most self hating <laughs> people you'll ever meet
1: it and it's so True. And it's just as true here in Nashville. Like it's absolutely crazy. And, you know, I, I, to be honest with you, you know, I could spend all day and hours asking you about this part of your life. Uh, but I want to move on. But I do want to have you if you could hold up your book again, for those of you listening that are like, holy shit, this is the craziest story I've ever heard in my entire life. Much of that is in your book. Um, it's called billion how I became the king of the thrill pill cult. I highly re- uh, recommend you pick it up. It's on audio and it's narrated by you, correct?
0: Absolutely, awesome. Yeah. So it's I highly recommend you do that. Yeah. Forward. I, I can't wait boss, to listen to it. The FBI negotiator, which is pretty awesome too.
1: Which man, he is the shit. Actually, like, just I. Uh, he's one of my favorite people to listen to on a podcast where you can actually take some things away like right away in business, like just absolutely amazing. So I highly recommend you all pick up, uh, you know, his book and read through that. Um, so my last question on this part of your life is, you know, what happened? Like, why were the, what was the government coming after you for? Was it tax evasion? Was it the ingredients? What, like,
0: so long story short, big pharma company, allegedly, I'm going to say allegedly, so nobody sues me now. <laughs> I've been sued a lot. Um, Allegedly, this company had come out with the most popular uh, drug in the 1980s to prevent depression for all the baby boomers. This drug had one little side effect, allegedly. Uh, Everything I'm saying is alleged. The side effect was erectile dysfunction and sexual dysfunction. Don't worry. They got it covered. A little blue pill solves all that. $5 billion plus in research and development, clinical trials. They're ready for this thing to come out in the 1990s. Very excited. This is going to be the biggest drug in history. A drug that gives you a boner, that could make women hypersexual, men hypersexual. It was designed for both. One thing they didn't plan for, a little long-haired Iranian kid with a pill that people were using for the exact same thing, that came to market before them that had no government regulation. So allegedly what this big pharma company did and several others was go to the government where they installed a very conservative um, and not in a good way, uh, head of the FDA. And this guy came after us very aggressively. And the first thing they tried to do uh, was to uh, ban our product, which they were unable to do. Then they tried to classify it as a drug, which they were unable to do. was not a drug. Then they tried to ban the ingredient, uh, the the primary ingredient, which was ephedra. That they were successful at. Not easy for them, but they did it. And then eventually I got tired of fighting them. Um, I would come up with a new formula. They would ban that. I would come up with another ingredient. They'd be like, we're banning that this week. Why are you banning that? We can't say, but we're banning it. And I sold off the parts of the company. We had several parts. There was a a cigarette component to it. We were selling the first herbal cigarettes out there. There was the standard for Hollywood studios for cigarettes. We had uh, over, I don't know, three or 400 different products that we were selling. And so the company got parted out and sold, and then moved on to solving the the problem of smoking. People have been smoking for thousands of years, created smoke tar carbon monoxide, but no one's found a solution. I decided, Hey, what if we could heat up the plants just to the point where they release the nicotine, the cannabinoids, the active elements, but not to the point where they burn it. And thus vapes and vaporization was born. And I wow. pioneered the technology of digital vaporization, the forerunner of what you see now in e-cigs and digital vapes, which by the way, don't espouse the use of it. I don't recommend anybody vapes or smokes or does anything like that. You certainly talk to your doctor before you do anything like that. But that technology was huge. That company went public. I exited a little while ago um, prior. And then I went on to the Amazon space. I looked at Jeff Bezos and this incredible disruptor that he had built and decided that I was going to spend the rest of my time empowering people to start Amazon businesses that bring about recurring revenue streams so they could eventually get to the point of not having to sell their hours. Because one thing we know is nobody fucking gets rich selling their hours.
1: That's, yeah, exactly right. And you have done that very successfully. I mean, you crush on Amazon, absolutely crush it. Um, but, you know, the thing that I really love is that, you know, you're in a point, a phase of your life now where it's about empowering and giving back to others. And I think a lot of us realize that, especially like 30s, 40s, it's like, you know, especially those that have made really great money that, Growth and contribution, right? Tony Robbins says it. Like, those are the things that actually lead to fulfillment. And you help a lot of people do that exact same thing. So, can you share? Because I want to have you share a, a minute or two on this. And then, just the last few minutes, when I was listening to you on another interview, the thing that I loved more than anything else, believe it or not, about that interview was your philosophy on kids and your philosophy with your own son. It was, I have three daughters. And it was the, my absolute favorite part of your entire interview. And I want to spend the last couple of minutes talking about that, but, but before we do that, I just want to have you share a little bit about your company now, what you do, how you help others and, and where they can go and learn more about that.
0: Yeah. So I I came up after the vaporizer thing, after herbal ecstasy, I came up with this brain pill, super cool uh, kind of like a limitless pill that I thought, hey man, it's it's gonna, you know, when you have kids and you just gotta stay on your toes. And I was like, man, my mental acuity isn't where it was. I gotta improve. And so I came up with this pill, produced it one of the biggest pharma facilities in the United States came out with it called Accelerol Focus Plus. It's it's on Amazon if anybody wants it. Um, back then, it was really expensive. These ingredients are super expensive that do what this stuff does and actually works. So I was like, man, how am I going to sell it? You were able to get Bezos on the phone. You were able to email him up at Amazon.com. He'd respond. Amazon wasn't <laughs> the behemoth that it is now. Yeah. Well, it turns out, that Bezos was opening up its platform to third-party sellers, people just like me and you to sell whatever we wanted to on the platform. So I thought, cool, let me do that. So I listed it on there, went to sleep, didn't think much of it, $120 product, woke up the next day, thousands of orders, hundreds of thousands of dollars. I thought, man, I'm going to look a little bit closer into this. And as I looked into it, I saw, man, this guy isn't just some nerdy, bald Dude, like some chomp. This guy's a disruptor, and he's not building a bookstore. He's building something that's going to disrupt e commerce forever and commerce forever. And I went all in and I learned all the little tips and tricks how you influence people, how you drive people to your listing, how you get people to buy your product, how you find a product, how do you get reviews, all that stuff. And now I have a one hour course. It's normally 100 bucks. Uh, sorry, it's normally 200 bucks. That's one hour, 200 bucks. For everybody who is watching this, use the cool code MENTOR, Inc., and I will give you the course for free. So email me. I'm going to awesome. give out, I'm going to do something. Uh, I'm going to give out my personal email. So people can reach out to me directly. I answer all emails. I will get back to you. It might take a minute, but I will. It's darkzess at gmail.com. D-A-R-K-Z-E-S-S at gmail.com. Email me directly. Use Mentor Inc. in the subject heading. And I will give you the one hour, $200 course for free.
1: Man, that's awesome. I'll write this down. I'll make sure I put it in the show notes as well so that people can find that. It'll go out to the email list. That's very. Um, very grateful, man. Thank you for for doing that. I had no idea. Um, <clears throat> so my final thing that I want to share is you said something that's really powerful because a lot of the listeners here, our parents, a lot of them have kids and there's a really big misconception. Um, I had a guest a long, long, long time ago, and he touched on this because, you know, the title of the podcast, I wanted it to be like how to raise your kids to be entrepreneurs. And he got on there and he's like, well, you can't. <laughs> You know, and he's just having we're having this whole conversation and you have a really interesting philosophy on what you can, what you can't teach kids, um, what you can give them, what you can't give them and and how you go about it. And I just was wondering if you could just share that, like that philosophy a little bit, because I think a lot of parents, especially like our parents, right? They like drive home what they want you to be, who they want you to be, how they want you to get there and you fight it your whole life. So please share that if you don't mind.
0: Well, I guess, let me know how that goes for you. To the people who are trying to <laughs> push their push, push their kids to be something they don't want to do. So, so first off, I, I believe truly that we're all individual spirits and beings and you know whatever you want to call it without the woo-woo, but we all have our own direction that we're going to go. And it's based on our personality. It's based on who we are. And you got to first look at each individual child's like spirit, like what kind of a child are they? Are they driven? Are they not? Are they uh, geared much more towards creative endeavors or business endeavors or physical endeavors? Are they athletic? These are all things that, that make a difference. And then our role as parents, I believe, is to be a coach and a mentor and to be able to guide them along the way to where they might become the best version of themselves. And and, and most of the time, we're able to have the greatest impact simply by experience and by our actions rather than our words. Kids will look at what we do much more than what we say. So if you're telling your kid, hey, you should do this, you should do that, and you're doing something different, They're going to listen to your actions rather than your words. Now, the problem comes when if a kid has to overcome a certain adversity, that's good for them. Remember, in my story, it builds grit. It builds character. And if you can overcome that, if you don't let them crush your spirit, if you get knocked down and you get right back up and you keep fighting, you become stronger. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. But you have to have that type of transformational experience to be able to become strong. You have to have adversity and a resolution to that adversity. The problem comes now with our kids being too comfortable. Like we came here as immigrants. I mean, I didn't eat at a restaurant until I was 15, not including Chela Kappa. They they didn't make time for that. But outside of that, I didn't really eat at a restaurant. You know, When we got closed... I had to wait till like some cool surfer dude walked into my dad's store, uh, his dry cleaners, and just pray that that dude was a loser and wouldn't pay his bill. So then <laughs> season we would get the clothes. The clothes were two sizes too big for us. We didn't eat out. Like my mom might be like, you know, mom, I want McDonald's. She'd be like, what do you mean McDonald's? Here you go. She'd put like some, you know, beef, bread. <laughs> two pieces of pita bread or whatever. I'd be like this is McDonald's enjoy. I love it. That was, that, was, that was what we did. When we didn't have enough money, it would be one burger for two of us. But now things are, for my kid, is much more comfortable. He doesn't have to worry about that. He, he wants for, for nothing. And so for him to be able to build discipline, to build grit, he needs to have experiences that foster. So things that foster that would include travel, Especially to places that aren't so comfortable to travel to, to see other cultures. Uh, martial arts, a great thing. I, I train martial arts myself. I train Brazilian jiu-jitsu, I train mixed martial arts. And when you're on the mat, it doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how much achieved, how much you have achieved in business and life, whatever. It's equal between you and your opponent. And in that moment, it comes down to survival and that builds character. It builds grit. Doing things that help other people builds grit, builds character. So there there is a need to have a transformational experience, something where they can have these aha moments and self-reflect because without it, they just become part of the status quo and they will be serped by someone who has had that transformational experience. You look at people like Steve Jobs, he was adopted. You look at Elon Musk, you look at Jeff Bezos, you look at all these people and they've had to overcome some level of adversity in their life. There's something that happened to them. None of those guys had it easy, especially being nerds. Uh, Bill Gatesy, you know, some of these people did come from money and they were more comfortable, but something happened to them in their life where they had this transformational experience. And Richard Koch, Uh, the author of the uh, 80-20 principle, really great. If you guys haven't read it, it's one of those canon books. His his latest book, uh, Unreasonable Success and How to Achieve It, he talks about all these amazing people in history and how they've had these experiences that have transformed them. So uh, as a parent, really, my goal is to foster that type of experience and learning and to be a guide and a coach. And I know that it doesn't matter what I want them to be, their spirits gonna 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 carry them to where their highest good is. But what I can do is give them the tools of discipline, and
1: uh, gratitude, humility, all these things that make them into a good person. That's awesome. This is exactly what I was hoping you would share. It's just fantastic. So much wisdom there. Uh, Shaheen, this has been a fantastic interview. My final question is, you know, uh, where's the best place for people to connect with you? You put out a lot of content. For those that don't know this, you have a podcast. You're putting out tons of content. You have huge followers, uh, a huge following on social media. You have a thriving YouTube channel. Where's the best place for somebody to start that wants to follow your content moving forward?
0: Yeah, I appreciate that. So guys, we, we do have a podcast. Make sure to subscribe, like, dislike, troll us. <laughs> Hack and Grow Rich. You can find us on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, where podcasts are found. Additionally, uh, you can get a hold of me directly by that email. Get the one-hour course. Start building that foundational wealth at darkzess at gmail.com. D-A-R-K-Z-E-S-S at gmail.com. My book, Billion, how I became king of the thriple cult is out now. You can get the audiobook on Audible, which just dropped recently. It's available all over the world. Uh, check it out. Leave me a review. Let me know what you think. And awesome. I'm, I'm always happy to hear from people on Instagram. We're hack and grow rich. So get a hold of us. Love it.
1: I'll put all that in the show notes. I want to thank you so much for your time today. This is just a fun, awesome, value packed episode. So thank you again for being with us. Honored to be on, man. Thank you
0: for having me on. Yep.